Welcome to Unconditional Love Fellowship with Bishop Malcolm Smith. This is episode number 40, recorded February 19th, 2013, The Gift of Joy. For more information and more teachings by Malcolm Smith and Unconditional Love Fellowship, please visit www.malcolmsmith.org or check out the new ministry website at unconditionallovefellowship.com. And now, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you. And I want to begin talking tonight um, about a subject that I believe is very appropriate for the days in which we live. And even if we didn't live in these days, it would still be very appropriate. Uh, and it's going to take us some weeks. Uh, so settle in for a very wonderful subject. And uh, the text I want to start with uh, and probably return to more than once is in John chapter 15 and verse 11. And he says, These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Let me just say as a briefest comment here, these things I have spoken to you. What, what things? Uh, this is in chapter 15 of John's Gospel. And so uh, he's referring maybe to everything he said, but specifically these things began in chapter 13 and through 14 and now 15 and will end in 16. And they revolve around the fact that he is leaving, having accomplished his work, and the Holy Spirit will then come, and the Holy Spirit will be the key, the, the, the one who, shall I say, actualizes, implements, uh, realizes in our lives everything that Jesus is and has said and has done. And so these things refers essentially to the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And so when we're going to think about my joy may be in you, that your joy may be full, we are going to ever hold in our minds the Holy Spirit is the, the one who actualizes that. Or should I say, the Holy Spirit is the one who's the canvas on such a picture of joy is painted in a believer, in you, me. So these things I've spoken to you so that my joy, weigh those words, my joy, think about it, that, that's God in our humanness, that, that joy, God joy inside of the human, my joy may be in you. And that once his joy is in us, then he says, your joy may be made full, full. And that means to overflowing. Well, at the end of speaking these things, he then prays. The, the uh, longest prayer that we have recorded of Jesus, and that's chapter 17. And in chapter 17, and verse 13, as he prays to the Father, he says, Now I come to you, Father, and these things I speak in the world, so that they, you and I, disciples, may have my joy made full in themselves. So there you have it, the joy the, the, the parting words, the, in fact, among the very last words that Jesus spoke before he was betrayed and, and suffered, died and rose again, he, it, it's as if he presses them upon the disciples that they will receive his joy. And therefore, their, their joy, this, the, for you and I then become divine human beings in the sense that, that Christ himself lives in us. And Jesus said the mark, what shall I say, the signature of such a person is joy. 
um, they shall know you are my disciples because you have love one for another. Well, here's something else. They will know it because you have that signature of the joy of the Lord. Um, For some, it might be almost shocking that the word joy is associated with this intimate relationship with Jesus through the Holy Spirit to the Father. Because throughout the the latter centuries, um, anything that smacks of, of piety and devotion to God has been associated, blatantly associated, with sadness uh, a long face and downright misery. Uh, and, and the more miserable you are, the more holy you're supposed to be. Well, that's certainly not the case when I come to the scripture. In fact, uh, in a sense, almost violently, the reverse of that. The, the Bible is shocking. I use that word carefully. I might even say scandalous to a person who associates holiness, uh, piety, devotion to God with sadness and dark uh, look of solemnity, all those things. When, When I come to the scripture, I am suddenly faced almost with a slap in the face, a glorious slap in the face, with the opposite. The Bible taking in its entirety, is the book, the book of extreme joy. Um, as we delve into this uh, reality, we'll come across other words that are brothers and sisters to the word joy, like rejoice, which is an intensity of joy. Uh, rejoice is a word that involves our physical The word rejoice in its meaning actually is to leap and spin in the air while you're shouting praise to God. That's rather intense. Uh, You'll find the word gladness over and over again. You'll find, of course, the words praise and thanksgiving, all associated with, with joy. And then the physical uh, you, you will find throughout the Psalms. I know we've tried to hide it in our solemn little gatherings, but in the Psalms, it tells us to clap our hands to the Lord. It speaks of feet that dance unto God. It speaks of raising the hands for sheer expression of joy. And of course, song, singing, well... I think you, the Bible is, you, you'll have a hard job if you want to exclude those words from the scripture. And the God, the one that we know, in, in come to know through Jesus, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, he is revealed both in the Old Testament... Many, you see, who have never really studied the Old Testament say that the Old Testament is such a miserable, bad, nasty book. Uh, And it was only Jesus that's... uh, No, 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 no. The God of the Old Testament is the one who reveals himself in the New. And if you truly read and look into the Old Testament, you will find that God... God is... I'd even use the word intoxicated. He is certainly overflowing limitlessly with joy. Let me say it again, uh, that I would almost use the word to describe the God of the Old and New Testament as the one who is intoxicated with joy and gladness. He is certainly the origin of joy. He is described as the laughing God. He is the one who is the beginning of all gladness, and he overflows with joy. This, what about that verse in Psalm number 16? It says, in your, that's the presence of God, in your presence is fullness of joy. You will find in many of these uh, cases that we're looking at tonight, it's not enough to say joy 
or even rejoicing, but it has to stick in these other words, fullness of joy, that their joy might be full. There was much joy and so on. Fullness of joy, which which means what it says that you can't stick any more in there. It is joy that has filled the cup and the saucer. And it says, have you really ever heard this? I mean, heard it in your heart, that at your right hand, that means right in your immediate presence, where Jesus has literally taken us, at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. I was taught that pleasure meant unholy. But it says here that there is fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore. Jeremiah 32, 41, he says, I will rejoice over them. And the them is us, the the people of God. I will rejoice over them to do them good. That, That is describing the God who is spontaneous in his delight at doing us good, not one that you have to twist his arm and make promises that you'll be a nice, good little boy or girl if you'll only do this. I'll go to the mission field. I'll die in a malarial swamp if only you'll do... No, no, no. He delights... He he rejoices over you to do you good. And again, Deuteronomy 30, verse 9. And if anybody, you know, is looking for that mean, miserable God in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, that's the law. So right smack there in the law of God, Deuteronomy 30, verse 9, it says it again. He will rejoice over you for good. Zephaniah 3.17 is one of my favorite verses. It says that he exalts over you with, with, with joy. He re- exalts over you. It's, it's as if there is the rising of divine emotion. As a mother over her child, he sings over us with joy. He rejoices over us with shouts of joy. Sounds pretty loud affair. And it's all joyous. It's it's the God who can't keep quiet because of his love. Joy in us. Isaiah 62, 5. Pretty extreme example. He says, as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride. I mean... It's speaking of the the look of love, the 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 love that is undistracted. The face of the bride fills the bridegroom with joy, as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride. So your God will rejoice over you. Hear the word of the Lord. Isaiah 65, 19. I, God is speaking. He said, I will be glad in my people. God likes you. I mean, this this is the simple fact of Scripture. Sometimes we can say God loves us as a very ambiguous, abstract idea. Okay, drop it. God likes you, and he rejoices over you with singing. He shouts with joy over you. And that's all Old Testament. We haven't even got to the New Testament. Because it's in the New Testament. The newness of the New Testament is continuing this theme, the joy. The joy of God. And Jesus, you see, is the joy of God. Uh, when, he, when the Father described Jesus, he said, This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. And that uh, elsewhere is, is stated as, uh, In whom my soul delights. The joy of the Father became flesh. 
God's joy entered into our humanity. And now he is saying here in John chapter 15 that through the Holy Spirit, because he has joined our humanness, now the Holy Spirit can communicate into us, us humans, the very divine joy. And Jesus said, my joy, I give to you. It's the gift of God. It's the gift of God. No strings attached, you say. No, 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 you, you don't have to earn this or make any silly promises that you can't keep. No, this is, this is the gift. He delights to give us joy and specifically divine joy that has taken now form and shape and substance within creation in Jesus Christ. And, and therefore, if he gives it, you get it nowhere else. Now, that's, that's interesting. If this is the gift of the Father through Jesus by the Spirit, the gift, and Jesus said, my joy I give to you. Therefore, I will never get this joy. I will never get this joy anywhere else. Maybe that is just um, standing out to me. But I, I feel like repeating that, underlining it in purple. You will never find this joy that he's talking about anywhere else. It must come from him who is the giver, my joy. It's interesting, just as a sort of statistic, but sometimes those statistics uh, are very important. The word rejoice, that extreme word, is used 72 times in the New Testament. That's a lot. That's a lot. And the word joy that we're specifically looking at tonight is used 60 times in the New Testament. So that, that's a lot. That's 132 times joy and rejoicing are used in the New Testament. I say this is the signature. This is the mark of a believer. It's also when you get into words and the meaning of words, this word joy is inside the family of the word grace. So grace, you know, that is God's giving to us, uh, his spontaneous giving, his, his giving with no strings attached. Well, joy is right in that word, grace, to the point where you could actually substitute the words sometimes. Um, there is a greeting that we read in the New Testament, and um, sometimes depends on your translation. It, sometimes uh, it would say he greeted them, but if the translation is literal, it would probably say that the person said, "Grace be to you, grace to you." That was a greeting. It was sort of saying hello, uh, grace to you. But actually, you could translate that without, I mean, no, no stretch to it. It, it. it means joy. To, what a way to say hello, to meet someone and say joy to you. You remember those other greetings we've talked about in the Lord be with you. The blessing of the Lord be upon you. Well, here's another one. Joy to you. This, I say, is the mark of the believer. It's the mark of the people of God. Signature. If you're hanging around with a lot of miserable, sad people, I don't think they've yet seen the gospel, you see. Joy. When the angel greeted the Virgin Mary, that's what he said. He greeted her. Joy to you. Joy. When Jesus rose from the dead, Matthew 28, verse 9, I believe. And as he met the disciples, fresh in resurrection, he said, joy to you. 
or your translation probably says that he greeted them, but the word there is he joined them. And when the disciples wrote letters to each other, they they began with these words often, um, that they would say, grace and peace to you. Well, that's wonderful with everything we know of the word grace, but we could put in there joy and peace to you. And of course, they're talking here of the divine joy that is the gift of the Lord Jesus. Which leads me to say, never. I know you've heard me say this before, but now we're in the subject. So never, never confuse the word joy, which is the gift of Jesus to us. Never confuse that with happiness. Happiness has its own place. It's it's a word that does not, strictly speaking, belong in the scripture or in the life of a believer. Um, But having said that, I I don't want to totally push happiness out. Um, It's it's not a bad word until that's where you live. Then it becomes a bad word. We believers are possessors of joy, the joy of Jesus in us through the Holy Spirit. We are not defined as a happy people. We're defined as a joy-filled people. And the, the re- I'm being very technical here, and that's my hesitancy, because I like being happy too. There's no, you could say joy includes happiness, but... Its actual definition is infinitely beyond it. You see, the word happiness, this is ancient English. And I know those of you listening in the U.S. and Canada, we we had to teach you English, and then you kind of messed it up a bit. And so some of this doesn't readily come to mind. It's in the dictionary. You can go to Webster's Dictionary, certainly Oxford Dictionary, And you will find happiness comes from the old English word hap, H-A-P, hap. And hap means luck or fate or chance. And you could push it a little bit to chaos because wherever things happen by chance, sooner or later you'll have a chaotic situation. So chance haps that we call happenings, and happenings are the chance things that happen, which sometimes we'll call luck or bad luck, fate, you know, all we'll actually say, most of us not understanding what we say, but we say it just happened, happened, uh, and it involves people, our relationship to people, many different kinds of relationships, some of them in terms of hurt and pain or joy, um, and many times in terms of what those other people have, in terms of what I have not, Uh, where they are in their status or station in life as opposed to where I am. All those things uh, are chance brushing up against people and interacting with them and, and with possessions that they have, we don't, or possessions that I want and don't have. Uh, and and that then involves envy. It can grow into bitterness and can become the victim mentality. But all that's to do with happenings, the circumstances of life, the happenings of life. Well, you see, how, how do I, I look at all these happenings, and, and as I've said, some of those I wish would unhappen, because they, uh, it, it doesn't fit the model that I have in my head of how things ought to be. 
it shouldn't be like this, says my head, and so therefore I will that it would unhappen. And when I'm in that state, wishing it would unhappen, we call it unhappiness. And when things are happening, as my model in their head says they should happen, we say we're happy. What a nightmare. You are going up and down and sideways and flat on your face and dancing on the ceiling. I mean, it's up and down because you are defining your happiness in terms of responding to happenings. And happenings are changing every moment. It's, I mean, really and truly, I... I happiness is something that is squeezed between unhappiness because it's unhappiness that makes us long for happiness and we get happiness and then it's lost again in unhappiness do do you understand the unhappy person or shall i say the person who believes in happiness they they are always potentially the complainers because when things happen that we feel in our head shouldn't happen, then we complain and we whine and we grumble and we murmur. We don't like what's happening and we wish it would unhappen. And on and on and on it goes, complaining, complaining and whining and reporting to the world about our unhappy feelings and unhappy circumstances. And you hear it in such conversation that the person sees themselves victims of the happenings. Because the person who... Presently, everything is happening according to their plan, though I've really yet to meet such a person. Um, That's another story. But um, they they boast in in pride of, of their happenings, and I think much of it is to make the others unhappy. I don't know, but it's a mess. I have often said, God saved me from happiness, which raises eyebrows, but he saved me from happiness because happiness always involves sooner or later unhappiness. Happiness is something you pursue. You always want that. You will even fight for your happiness because happiness is an illusion. It's a mirage in the desert. It's moving. And just when you think you've caught it, you realize, no, that that wasn't it. I mean, you know that. And I think if we had a parade of persons who have won the lottery or got that job or moved into that house or got that car, we'll tell you when they got it, they realize this, this wasn't it. Everybody else is drooling at the mouth and saying, if only I had that, I would be happy. But the person who has it certainly doesn't seem to be. Um, We're strange folks. But when you grasp what you think is happiness, you suddenly hear happiness calling from way over there and say, no, I'm over here, you see. Advertising commercials depend on this. They tell you that if you use this toothpaste or that insurance company or buy this car, you'll be happy. Because they know they're talking to people that are never happy. So, um, joy. You see, there's no such thing as unjoy. This is divine. This is the very heart of God poured into our hearts through Jesus. Because joy, joy does not depend on events. Joy does not depend on people being and doing and saying the right thing. Joy doesn't depend upon everything going my way. Joy, joy is my response not to creaturely things but to the heart of God himself. Joy means that we have found the very meaning to life itself. In fact, we found out that life 
The meaning of life is not an it. The meaning of life is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he is the creator. He is the blueprint. He is the glue of life. He's our lover and he's the one who by joining us and carrying us through death and resurrection has brought us life and as he said, life more abundant. So you could say that joy, when, when you meet joy in a person, it's like the hum of an engine that has been well-tuned. I think I, I used something of that illustration sometime before. I, I, I'm not mechanical, but I'm very impressed by mechanics who will just listen to an engine and they can tell if there's something wrong. And apparently there's a hum. There's a song in the engine when everything is functioning as it should. A well-tuned engine has got a certain sound that a mechanic can hear. Well, talking of humans, that well-tuned human who is being or they were created to be in Christ Jesus the hum of that engine is joy. It's the sound that, that is coming through a person who lives in harmony with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And, and it is. It's, it's hard to pin it down to one thing because it's the way they speak. It's the way they look. When a joy-filled person looks at you, they communicate through their eyes joy. Would you believe, and I can't pursue this now, it's a physical fact, but even the way your heart beats in joy-filled person, you send the energy of your heartbeat out to infinity throughout space. Did you know that? Um, it's joy. And, and, and joy, you see, you, you never pursue joy. You have to pursue happiness because it all depends on what's happening. But joy, you do not pursue joy. For it's the gift of God through Jesus. So joy is not the end goal. You know what I mean? Uh, the person who lives in their happiness, the end goal is to be happy. But this person, their end goal is not joy. God himself is the end goal, and joy will quietly burst upon us. I, I say quietly because when you use the word burst, it can be, you know... Shazam, I mean, this is quiet. Usually you know that entrance of heaven's joy into your life as a felt fact is after the fact. You suddenly realize you're in it. You can't quite remember when that slipped in. It's, it's God himself is the end goal. It's Christ living in us and through Christ the Father and the Holy Spirit living in us. And joy just, um, shall I say the side effect, some side effect, but the, I, I'm trying to say we don't have to pursue it. It's not over there, over there, go. No, this is the gift of God. It is knowing God in his self-revelation. When I, when I know who God is, when I know who God is, heart knowing who he's revealed himself to be, that God is love. Uh, of course, we, we've been there a thousand times. But just consider it one more time. That, that to know that God is love, that he is limitlessly for us. He's on our side for us. 
that that he God is the embracing love. He he's himself is the divine hug. He he is the accepting one. He's the initiator of our salvation and all good. He is grace. He is the primal giver. He he is faithful. He can never go back on his word. He will never leave us, never forsake us. He is the all-wise God. Love, weaving together life, that all things work together for good. And he is all power. Love in humans can end with, I wish I could help you. But with God, his love is also his power to accomplish what he wills and purposes. It's no wonder that the Old Testament worshippers, the believers of the Old Testament, who had such a revelation of God, incomplete, but they had that. And so they responded to that with the words we've already said. They rejoiced. Just as an exercise, read through the book of Psalms. You will find command heaped upon command to be glad, rejoice, give praise and thanksgiving. It's there. At the Feast of Tabernacles, that was one of those, the last feast of the Jewish year. And they went wild before the Lord. They danced in the streets. They sang. They even danced around the altar, the priest. I say they were responding to a God that was too marvelous for words. They were delighting in a God that blew their minds away. In a world groping in their darkness, they knew there in the Old Testament who God really was, and they had his promise of what he would do that we come to know in Jesus. Because you see, Love, God love, finds its definition in Jesus. Note that. There's a lot of people that will sort of give a nod of their head to say that, yeah, God's love. But after that, it's an abstract, it's an ethereal idea. In fact, many of those people, I I don't know how they come to the conclusion, but they say the universe is love. It's like saying my electricity is in love with me. I mean... No, the universe can't love you. Only a person can love you. And the love of God that we're speaking of, the original spontaneous love, unbegun love, is finally given definition and complete definition in Jesus. So the scripture says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Notice that. He so loved that he gave. So the so loved is defined and given substance in he gave. We don't say only that God is love. That love can only be understood in its definition in Jesus the first cry of joy. I mean, if you can get the feeling, I can't do it in a couple of minutes, but, but in the, the people that had hoped and waited for generations for the promise, in a world, I say again, of darkness, and in the most insignificant fashion, in a third world, poverty-stricken country that was under the oppressing army of occupation from Rome. An angel comes into a kitchen to a girl of about 14. And the angel said, the first words the angel said, as we've already noted, he greeted, that is, joy to you. And and he spoke of this girl becoming pregnant without a human father, for the Holy Spirit would come upon her. The Son of God would be conceived in her. And she 
needs someone to tell. And so she runs to her relative Elizabeth, who herself had become pregnant in old age. And as she walked in the door, Elizabeth reported the baby in her womb, who was John the Baptist, she said, leaped in my womb. What do you know? Leaped in the womb, it means John, before he was born, was dancing for joy that in the womb of the Virgin, his Lord had come to the house. Joy, joy, joy. And then Mary sings, her great song, my soul exalts in the Lord, my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. And then angels in a field nine months later terrify with joy the shepherds and announce to them that we bring, or rather Gabriel said, I bring good news of a great joy. And what was that? There's a baby crying in Bethlehem, a newborn tonight, and is wrapped in tight little blankets and is laid in a feeding trough of animals. But he's the great news of great joy. And wherever Jesus went in his ministry, he brought that great joy right through to his conquering death. Death. Death, that monstrous thing that came with disobedience in the Garden of Eden. The great no purpose to life. The the awful futility in all I touch because I know that whatever I do, I'm going to die. And it all falls like having to write a paper all day long and then when evening comes, the teacher says, shred it. But tomorrow morning, you're going to start again. And you work and you work, but you know it's pointless, it's futility because you'll shred it in the evening. Death, that's what it is, you see. Jesus entered into death. And when he rose from the dead, having destroyed death, his first words of greeting, joy to you, joy. And the first woman to the tomb, remember it says, they departed from the tomb with fear. Yeah, the fear in the sense, I don't know what's going on here. And great joy. Suddenly, into their world of despair and darkness, great joy. And when Jesus appeared to those on the road to Emmaus, you remember, and he speaks into their despair, they don't recognize him until he breaks bread in their house, and then they recognize him. And it says that they got up and they returned to Jerusalem to tell the disciples with great joy. And and they reported while he talked, our hearts burned within us. Joy, joy, joy. And we were in Christ. And so I can report and you can witness to the fact we rose with him That was actualized in our life history. We call it born again, born from above. And we know that we shall rise again. Death is not the end. In fact, Jesus said in John 11, believe on me, you shall never die. Death is only in the eyes of those who are watching and know that we are leaving. But for the dying person, they are entering consciously into the very presence of Jesus. And there in the presence of Jesus to wait for the new heaven and the new earth and a body like to the resurrection body of Jesus. 
Everything that I do now has purpose. There's no shredding in the evening. In some mysterious way, it goes on and on, woven into that new heaven and new earth. So says 1 Corinthians 15. And when our loved ones die, it says, we sorrow not as others which have no hope. Even in our tears at the departure of our loved ones, there is the triumph. We shall meet again in the presence of Jesus. We shall enjoy the new heaven and new earth together in his love. Oh, yeah. See, the gospel, the real gospel that centers in all that Jesus has accomplished, which produces you and I, which biblically is the church, for the church is not a building, cannot be a building. The the word church in Greek is ecclesia, and that is nothing to do with bricks and mortar buildings or organizations or programs. The word ecclesia means a company of called out people. That is people in the world, but not of people. You are the church. You meet in a building betimes, but the building isn't the church. You are. And that church, that company of, of, of persons who do not seek meaning to life in other persons or things or status or possessions or circumstances but who find their center, their anchor, their integration point in that they are the beloved of the Father and that they are in Christ and Christ is in them through the Holy Spirit and they are face to face with the Father even as Jesus. And that is the sphere in which all their life takes place, whether it's their family or their job, their simple happinesses, yes, I use the word, the joys of life, like a good meal with friends, like a good game played with others, that all takes place inside the Holy Trinity, for that has become my home. That's the center, that's the anchor, that's the integration point, and therefore that is joy. Joy. My joy I give to you. And so, we don't have the time, but if you rush through the New Testament, joys all over the place. I said so. Acts 2.4, the first Christians, it says that they were breaking bread. That is, they, they ate together, celebrated Holy Communion together whenever they could with great gladness. The Philippian jailer, he's, what must I do to be saved? He believed upon Jesus, and out of the chaos of that night, It says he brought Paul and Silas into the house, set food before them, and rejoiced greatly because he believed. To the Thessalonians, Paul writes, he says, you received the word of God in much tribulation, but with joy in the Holy Spirit. Philip goes to Samaria and it says there was much rejoicing in that city. He speaks to the Ethiopian and the Ethiopian went on his way rejoicing speaks of our hope that brings joy and peace in believing. See, to believe the gospel, it means that the Holy Spirit within us sheds abroad the love of God and the joy of the Lord. We participate in God's joy now. And so the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Or Romans 14 says the kingdom of God is righteousness, which means face-to-face relationship with the Father through Christ. Relationship is uh, righteousness. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5, you know, says be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourself in psalms and hymns and songs inspired by the Spirit. 
singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And in everything you do, whether word or deed, do it giving thanks unto God. Boy, no victim there, mate. There's no complaining, no grumbling, no dragging your feet. You have no bored people there sitting there on board. No, these people have joy. They have found the meaning of life that penetrates everything that is in their pathway. Look, this text that I've just, we started with nearly an hour ago, let, let me read it to you in the Amplified Version, which is a jolly good translation. It, it does what it says. It amplifies words to show what they really mean in the original language. So it says, same text that I started with in John 15. He says, My joy and delight may be in you, and that your joy and your gladness may be of full measure and complete and overflowing. See, do you get it? My joy I give to you, that your joy may be full. That's a good enough translation in English. I don't complain about it. But if you want to pull out those words as to what they mean in the original language, my joy and delight may be in you, that your joy, your gladness may be full, yeah, full measure, complete, couldn't be more complete, overflowing. And that prayer that Jesus prayed that we also read in John seventeen thirteen. Let me read that from the Amplified Version. The prayer of Jesus is, My joy may be made full and complete and perfect in them, that they may experience my delight fulfilled in them, that my enjoyment may be perfected in their own souls that they may have my gladness within them, filling their hearts. Now, that is so. See, have you noticed what I call religion? Um, always put something in the future. It's always remote. Always. You get it. If you go to such a... a, a gathering of believers on a Sunday, every Sunday. It's when you do this, when you've dedicated, there's always when and if. You come to the scripture and it's all is now because it springs from the heart of God, not from what you do. Whatever you do will come to pass because you've received the is now gift of God. But just a minute, I've got to throw this in, because I I can hear it coming. People listen to a lot of what I say, and maybe specifically this, and they say that, yeah, 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 yeah. But it's triumphalism. That that, that is, there's no room for pain. There's no room for hurt. You see, they say, life is not just dancing and singing and parties with God. Uh, Well, not if you're looking at the happenings, as I said, happenings and haps and chance and fate, dear Lord, no. Life is, is full of pain. Yeah, I I understand what you're saying. But you know intimately, personally, in and through Jesus, you know the Holy Trinity, you call God your dad, Abba. You know that God the Son, Jesus, is in you and your body is the very dwelling house of the Holy Spirit, the the source of all love, of all wisdom, is in you. That is the divine dance, my friend. That is the divine dance. That is the joy of the Lord springing within. Look, 
how can we go? Look, there's been enough tragedies here in the United States, and I'm sure you've heard about them around the world. Um, there's been enough tragedies here. I mean, serious tragedies for, from blizzards and floods and tornadoes and massacres. And we believers, how can we go into that without being sucked into it? How can you go into it to, in any way, even prayer, without collapsing in despair? Evil crushes when you just come within its magnetic field. Unless you have the joy of the Lord rising within you. Unless you have the rejoicing spirit in the very beat of your heart. And you can go into the most hideous evil and the joy of the Lord is your strength. Oh, I'm not saying there's not pain in life. I'm not saying there's not evil abroad in the earth. What I am saying that we are living from another source and therefore can face that evil, can go into it to bring hope and love and compassion only because we're living from somewhere else. We literally are living to the beat of a different drum that the world cannot hear because they're deaf and ears can only be opened by the Holy Spirit revealing Jesus. Nancy, my wife, um, put on her Facebook page a picture of a duck. Some of you might have seen it. And the duck is actually dancing. And there's rain coming down. And, and the caption underneath is, it isn't that we just go through the storm, we dance in the rain. And, and that is true, but I'm in no way saying that we're people that are wrapped in cotton as if we don't know what's going on in the world or that nothing ever goes wrong in our lives. It's just simply that we are living from elsewhere and therefore can face life with a strength that is beyond all human strength. Does that make sense? I hope so. So they're like uh, Colossians 1.9 where Paul is, is praying that they'll be empowered with all power through the Holy Spirit in order to be patient and long-suffering. Patient is how a believer deals with events, circumstances, long-suffering is how you deal with people. And in both cases, the intimation is that whatever it is goes on and on and on. And how do you hold up? Well, he says, you, you are given the strength of the Spirit. But did you notice, he said, unto all patience and long-suffering, with joyfulness, not with a grim gritting of teeth, but with the joy of the Lord. I, I could, you know, well, Habakkuk, or I don't know how you pronounce it in the States, but uh, Habakkuk, where, where he says, though the fig tree does not blossom and there be no fruit on the vine, though the stalls are empty, speaking in an agricultural community of total collapse, there's no harvest, there's, there's no lambs, there's no calves, we're finished. And then he goes on, but he says, Yet will I rejoice in the Lord, I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. So, my time is up, but there'll be a lot of hours ahead when we will get into this, this joy that is the signature of the believer and the strength of the Lord. But this much I'll say, you who are in Christ... The Holy Spirit dwells within you, actualizing this joy of Jesus. Deliberately look through your circumstances to the God who has defined himself in Jesus, who says, I love you and call you my child, who will never leave you nor forsake you, and begin to give thanks to him. 
that is stop believing your feelings, stop giving articulation to your feelings with miserable complaining, and begin to give thanks to God who is your true center and life. Give thanks for every promise that he has made, every commitment he has given, and know that it is sealed with his blood and he cannot go back upon it. And understand that he is and his promise is now. Disrespect religion that says it will only happen when you've got your act together and begin to delight in the God who calls you righteousness. And do it with words to replace and to destroy those terrible, satanically inspired words of complaint and victim. And let your words by faith be words of joy and walk out into your world acting as if Jesus meant what he said, that his joy is yours. And we shall meet again in a week's time. And now the blessing of God, who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, his blessing now rest in you and grant you the knowledge of his righteousness, his unspeakable peace, and his unlimited joy that now dwells in you. So I bless you and declare that is the way it is. Amen.